Welcome to another edition of Current Affairs Taiwan. And Donovan, what do we have on store for us today? All right, we got quite a bit on this action-packed show. We've got the Huangjie recall is past phase one. That's the NPP city councilor in Kaohsiung. Yoshi Quinn is the new legislative speaker. William Lai will be joining a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Congress. President Trump generally attends those breakfasts, so our vice president-elect may meet Mr. President Trump. Interesting. There's a petition at the White House which has passed the threshold for an official response from the White House on admitting or promoting allowing Taiwan into the World Health Organization. A bunch of countries have come out both in support of Taiwan and not in support of Taiwan as regards the WHO. The State Department of the United States has issued a very strongly and interestingly worded statement, and how long Bin has gone full-throated anti-commie. Welcome back to Current Affairs Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith, and uh, I can't read a calendar. It turns out uh, Mike is not back from the Philippines yet, but my hero, Scott Ellinger, came down all the way from Taipei. So again, uh, my avatar says Michael Turton. Oh, I mean, uh, sorry, I'm Scott J. Ellinger. Nice to meet you. All right. Um, this show is sponsored by Tainan Made Jam. This year is the 20th anniversary of this free all-original music festival. This year, it is May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Check out MayJam.com or Tainan MayJam on Facebook. It's a great event. Definitely check it out. All right. So we'll kick off with the Huangjie recall. To provide a little context, uh, the fan, Han fans, Han Guoyu's fans, uh, have launched a recall against Huangjie, who is a NPP city councilor in Kaohsiung. Oh, interesting. She's a very famous. Um, she's very famously uh, a critical of Han Guoyu. Oh yes, so, I've, I've seen her on the news and in, in the uh, news talk shows. I've seen her quite a bit. Yeah, she is of the famous eye roll when she got exasperated questioning him in uh, in the city council. So That's, I did an eye roll, by the way. I tried to do one. Oh yeah. I roll. Okay. Fun by Yen. Didn't work very well. <laughs> All right. So they passed the, according to UDN report, they've passed the very first uh, step, the first stage, which uh, they've uh, they got 1% of the got voting the public. Okay. And how many votes was that? I think it's like 2,900 or 2,800. Yeah, 2,800 like and something. And this is in the Fengshan district, correct? Yes. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So now this is uh, going on against the backdrop of. The recall against Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu. Now that has reached the second stage. Yes. So if they can get three hundred thousand, their their target is to get three hundred thousand. I, I believe it was uh, uh, signatures by the end of February. They already had by January thirtieth in the first three days. They already had eighty thousand. So that seems to be proceeding. So the, that recall vote could be coming up as early as April, May, or June. Depending I heard. On the I heard from the uh, talk shows and mm -hmm. all the commentators. They they've discussed. I think it's May or June will be the window. That's the earliest. Yeah, I've I've heard April, May, June. Yeah. So now the question is whether or not the Huangjie recall will happen. Now, on my Facebook, a long term resident, longer term than us, I believe he grew up here. I believe, uh, at least partly. Uh, he lives in Kaohsiung, and he made some interesting comments. Oh, and uh, I think his name's Carl... Carl what? Thelen or Thielen? I don't know how Thielen, to Thielen, probably Thielen. 
Yeah. So he uh, he commented that the Fengshan district, because it has a lot of uh, military has military base, and there are a lot of military families. So a lot of the old, you know, post nineteen forty nine. Oh, KM, are you talking about the, uh, the district. these yeah. are the KMT families and the KMT mm-hmm. officers when they came here in 48, 49, yeah. and they just commandeered some of these old houses. You mean the, the military villages? So, right. Okay, so I understand, I understand. So he's saying there's a lot of them there, so he thinks that there's a pretty good chance that this recall against Huang Jian may win. Ultimately, what they need to do is they need to get 25% of the electorate out if they pass phase one and phase, phase two. two if they actually get to a recall, then they need to get 25% of the electorate to vote to recall her. Oh, she could be in trouble then. Uh, it depends right. on how, how deep blue these KMT families and how much they support. Right. And I think when uh, before the show we started talking about that, and of course being former military and dealing with a lot of Taiwan military, um, the one thing I would like to comment on this it would be reference, I don't know, you know, those KMT families, that's 1948, 49, and 50. And what are, I mean, they're very old and probably most of them have passed away, but now you're in the third and fourth and fifth generation. And I know my experience in the Taiwan military, you can't count on the military being completely blue. Uh, I do know that uh, during Mying Joe's term, there was quite a few military members, you know, officers, we'll, we'll focus on the officers, that they weren't very pro Mying Joe and they weren't very pro uh, blue on that. I mean, they were, uh, I wouldn't say they were pro green. But I could say that they were not happy with Mying Joe's handling of the military in, in 2009, 2010, 11, and 12. I mean, there were some pretty unhappy characters. Yeah, well, I mean, military spending fell below 2% of GDP during his terms. So. Well, he, he just wasn't funding the military yeah. in the, into the programs they wanted. And that that's a whole issue on um, uh, the all-volunteer force. And we've discussed this before. But uh, I think that's something I wouldn't factor that. I wouldn't make that a main factor in the sense of... If you want to count on that as a as a give me, so it's not a give me in this one. So I would be a little careful in, in that factor. So, I mean, Carl, he lives down there. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't, but I'm just giving you my two cents reference. Uh, uh, reference, you know, the you can't guarantee that these KMT families will go blue and recall uh, Huang Huang Jie. Right. Okay. All right. So Yoshi Kun has been has won the. He's the, now the technically it's the president of the legislative UN, which we normally translate as the speaker of the legislature. Now he's interesting. He's he's an older guy. He was a former premier. Uh, he was uh, he was also a chairman of the party for a while. Oh, so okay. he goes way back. He's seventy some odd years old. So he's an old guy. What's interesting about this is he's never been in the legislature before. Interesting. Yes. It was, so that makes. A, but he's the most senior member of the party in the legislature. So that's interesting. And I'm kind of curious as to what's going on with the Zheng Guohui, which is the name rectification faction of the DPP. This is a grouping that used to be headed by Yoshi Kun. Then it kind of passed to Lin Jialong, the former mayor of Taichung, and he's now the transport minister. Yes. Right. So I'm not really sure what Yoshi Kun's position is, if he's back at the head of this or not. I'm not really hmm. sure. Um, I'm kind of curious to see if I can figure that out. So hopefully we can find that out for you sometime in the next few weeks. So um, William Lai is the vice president-elect, Lai Qingde, mm-hmm. is going to the United States. Oh. And what is he going for? Uh, he's going for the congressional prayer breakfast which is 
often or usually also attended by the president. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm, so two plus two equals five? No, four. <laughs> so, well, we'll see how this plays out. I know we were talking about this mm-hmm. beforehand. And uh, from my experiences in, in my DC circles, I, I will expect that he'll be meeting with, of course, all the, the senators and representatives. They're very pro-Taiwan. So mm-hmm. he'll meet definitely with all the caucus members, or Taiwan caucus members. He'll meet with uh, definitely Ted Cruz. He'll meet with Marco Rubio, uh, Einhoff, uh, let's see. Corey Mende, Gardner. Corey Gardner. There's a list that are very pro, and I think uh, they'll definitely meet him. The question is, uh, what out of the cabinet, you know, out of the cabinet members, as well as the appointed officials that are very, you know, like the, the top five. So you're looking at, you know, president, vice president, national security advisor, maybe deputy National Security Advisor Matt mm-hmm. Pottinger, uh, you know, Secretary of State or Deputy Secretary of State. You know, who out of this this big or de, I don't think the Defense uh, Secretary of Defense that they, they won't be in this picture. But I would say in these top five, uh, you know, who will show up and talk? I, I what's your I'd speculation? Guess, I, I'd guess Pompeo. Pompeo. Yeah. yeah. Um, he would be an obvious choice. He's been speaking pretty strongly on these issues. Yeah. I know if John Bolton was still national oh, advisor. He oh, he definitely, <laughs> he definitely. I'm not sure would. O'Brien's opinion. I, I don't have a read on O'Brien mm-hmm. and his opinion of Taiwan and where he, where he is on uh, the, you know, what side is he on? Right. Uh, but I, I do know, I think Matt Pottinger, I, if I were to guess, uh, Matt Pottinger will probably meet with uh, 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 William Lyon on the side. Now, what I really want to see is whether or not he interacts directly with President Trump. Now, President Trump did show up at the prayer, uh, at the prayer uh, breakfast last time. So mm-hmm. there's a, a and, and William Lai. Now he's the vice president elect. He's not. He he won't be sworn into office at this uh, point. Yes, but he is the former premier, and he is the incoming vice president. President Trump has attended these dinners, mostly these breakfasts, traditionally. We'll see so there's goes. an opportunity here. And, and like we talked in uh, uh, the show last week, the uh, Taiwan Context show, which has not been posted yet, but you'll see it here come up pretty soon, is we did talk about uh, the self-instri- uh, self-restri- uh, self-imposed restrictions that, that have been imposed on the United States, or that the United States imposes on this, this U.S.-Taiwan relationship. And we'll see, uh, well, it doesn't fall under this self-imposed restriction model that the mm-hmm. uh, State Department carries over. So... Well, William Lai is there as a civilian. Mm-hmm. So let's see if uh, see how this plays out. Actually, that's a good good opportunity to pitch Taiwan Context, which will be coming out soon. Uh, Taiwan in that show, what we talked about was, and and you gave us some of the background and details on this. Just in a nutshell, is that the U.S.'s one China policy does not preclude a whole lot of things which the State Department has imposed. Correct. And, in and other that, words, it's self-imposed by the State Department. And that's from the you know, that's from 1979 mm-hmm. and State Department and trying to figure out, okay, what kind of relationship are we supposed to have with Taiwan? And of course, they were um, pandering to that back then the, the PRC and our relationship model that we had in reference. How are we going to um, subvert the Soviet Union? So that was part of that whole dynamic back then. Mm-hmm. But we'll see where um, um, on that. Uh, see if there's going to be some changes here in the next uh, couple weeks. Yeah, and because there's nothing in the One China 
a policy which precludes the president from meeting Taiwan's president. Nope. There's is nothing it, in there. If which, it, they're which not, not in uh, the joint communiques, joint yeah. communique one, two, and three, mm-hmm. um, the six assurances. There's nothing in there that's written as U.S. policy or in the uh, the joint communiques. So, yeah. um, well, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But again, we find everything on report.tw. So yes. please go there to find everything. <laughs> I'm just doing Michael Turton's normal <laughs> moniker, and, and again, I got to do it this week. So, sure. Report that.tw. All right. So, there's a petition. Uh, the U.S. government has petitions on the White House website. Oh, yes. Which uh, it is, there's been a petition for Taiwan to be, or the U.S. to push Taiwan to be admitted into the WHO, the World Health Organization. It passed uh, the threshold which means that normally the White House will respond within 60 days. Japan, Canada, and the U.S. have all come out in support of Taiwan being readmitted to, to uh, observer status into the, uh, to the WHO. The show, yeah. Now, this is, uh, and just this is, I thought this was very interesting. Uh, Joseph Wu, the foreign minister. Now, Italy banned all flights coming in from Taiwan. the PRC, Hong Kong, Hong Kong Macau. Macau, and Taiwan. Yes. Now, the speculation is that the reason why they included Taiwan in this is because of a WHO report. Now, it didn't say that you should restrict flights, but it was raising the alarm about China. Well, I, I was watching the I was watching the press conference. And yeah. So you could see it where, you know, um, you know, Joe's uh, uh, pardon me, uh, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, he'd have his little tablet right here, and he would draw it where Taipei is listed underneath the PRC as cities. Mm-hmm. And so it gets rolled up in the entire PRC uh, roll-up under WHO on right. all the affected cities of coronavirus. So I think uh, that's so in Italy, probably somebody in their Ministry of Foreign Affairs or whoever handles this this uh, reference, all the flights and everything, probably just doesn't have the education to understand the difference between Taiwan, Republic of China, and China, People's Republic of China. They, they, I don't think that person understood it and just made a just made a carte blanche decision that anything that comes from these areas because of the report, hence Taiwan fell victim to the narrative that China always controls, hence mm-hmm. the WHO. Um, yeah, and I saw that, and that was uh, with, I saw that on the TV, uh, the TV um, uh, press conference that Joseph uh, was, uh, um, he was making his comments. What's interesting is he did it all in English. Mm-hmm. And he did, of course, on the side, he do his Chinese, and then he took question and answer time, but uh, then the news pushed off of it, and they went back into coronavirus uh, reporting. So I didn't get how the reporters were asking questions, but it it, it was uh, very focused on uh, where you could see the statements, and that's where, where it led, is that Taiwan's listed, Taipei's listed as a city of the PRC, and mm-hmm. that's what made uh, probably why Italy made this decision the way they did. And, of course, Joseph Wu's comments was that Italy was living in a parallel universe, or parallel world, I think is the way he phrased it. I, I didn't see, I, I wasn't focused. I was more focused on, you know, where you have the city, Taipei Falls, under all the PRC yeah. cities. That's what I was really focused on. And it was a fairly strong-worded, uh, yes, fairly strong-worded, I thought, uh, and essentially saying that Italy was living in a parallel world where Taiwan was part of China, which is obviously not true. So that was where not he was true going here. with that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to Current Affairs Taiwan. All right, so now the State Department issued something quite interesting. Oh yes, and it's um, and I'm a little surprised too because mm -hmm. I, in my experience in U.S. policy and my D.C. circle days, I have never really seen anything like this. So it's, mm -hmm. it's very interesting. So I'm going to read this here for uh, our audience to to get a, uh, a better glimpse of what was said. So this is what it says. The uh, title is ICAO's Outrageous Practice of Blocking Twitter Users Who Reference Taiwan. And some of the language in this um, statement, probably if I go back 10 years, 12 years in my time there in D.C., I've never seen anything written like this. And so uh, when you go to this statement that you can find on State Department, it's published on February 1st, 2020, uh, and the department spokesperson states it. And you, you can go down to the middle of the statement. It says, is outrageous, unacceptable, and not befitting of a UN organization. So I found that interesting. And then the second part, uh, we call upon, so this is the State Department calling upon, ICAO to immediately and permanently reverse its practice of blocking discussion of Taiwan on its Twitter properties and make clear publicly it's understanding that freedom of expression must always supersede the political insecurities of member states. <laughs> now, I was one of those people that was banned pretty early by the AI. Well, I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a Twitter account, so I I, I really don't follow Twitter too so much. So you're feeling left out, I see. Uh, and my feelings were really hurt because <laughs> I found out you were blocked, so I was hurt. And then Jessica was blocked, and well, she was uh, blocked before me. Yeah. Uh, and then I. Oh, and uh, I think uh, Jody was also blocked, right? Or, 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 no, Cody. Cody. Oh, Jenilyn Cody. Yeah, yes. Jenilyn Cody. Yeah, yeah Cody. She, she, was, yeah. she was blocked too because mm -hmm. I saw her her uh, her um, uh, Facebook uh, post and she got blocked too. Yeah. So her feelings must be hurt too. <laughs> yes. Everybody's feelings are hurt. So those three people, our feelings got hurt. Maybe four, oh, four including Jessica. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's there's a bunch. The Michael Matz, uh, M A Z Z A. Maza. Yeah. yeah. In DC. Uh, he was another one. Uh, so th there was a handful of people. Definitely. So um, so we have more than four people got their feelings hurt. That's right. Okay. Yes. So uh, <clears throat> so now, the, the, this whole thing, the ICAO is headed by someone from the PRC. And the the person in charge of their social media is from the PRC. Yeah, and that's Guang Qining uh, is the name. So Guang Qining is the person. So like last week, I didn't know if it was... Guang Qi Ning or, or Qi Ming, but it's it's Qi Ning. Okay. Uh, but I don't know the Chinese characters. Guang is probably Guangzhou the Guang, uh, but I'm not sure what the Qi or the Ning is in, mm -hmm. in the in the characters. But I mean that's the name in English, and so uh, I would be or uh, I would be my wager of two hundred dollars U.S. I guarantee that's the person that blocked these these accounts. I, I would, would not uh, take that bet. Okay. <laughs> But but going back to the statement, and and normally we don't see state ever being this forceful against like mm -hmm. a, a a Beijing type of narrative. And so, as we talked last week about the narrative and controlling it, uh, this is a, this is a pleasant surprise seeing the narrative starting to be controlled by the U.S. and pushing back hard against the Chinese narrative. Which uh, I hope in the future we can see this even more. And pushing this narrative of you know Taiwan needs to be included in these international international organizations specifically because of this pandemic issue is last week it was about four thousand when we did the show last week and now we've, we're close to eighteen thousand on the number of cases of the coronavirus officially officially yeah 
the real count is probably higher than that because a lot of people are asymptomatic. Yes. So, um, and that's assuming that the PRC is telling the truth on those numbers, which we don't know for sure. Question mark. <laughs> now, I think it's very interesting the state came out with these, this very strongly worded thing. I, I feel like a lot of it started right around the time when President Trump came out with the comment about uh, about the PRC getting airlines to change the, the, the names and all of this, and he referred to it as Orwellian nonsense, which I actually thought was a pretty good turn of phrase. Oh, that's the correct term. It yes. Actually, it is. And so I think in, in State Department specifically, I think a lot of it's being pushed by Mike, Mike Pompeo, yeah, I mean, probably. the actual Secretary of State. And I think he probably read this statement before it was released, and he may have done his own pencil changes <laughs> on whoever the, the, the desk officer that writes the, the actual press release. And he probably made his little scribble marks, okay, I want to change this to this. And you could see that kind of language because that follows Pompeo's kind of his narrative and how he wants to deal with China. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's been the case where he actually has been involved in, in actually reviewing before it went out. So I'd, I'd put I'd put a good wager on that one, mm -hmm. but for me I, I I really this is what we're we, we need to see and we need to see they don't need to bash China but what they need to do it's it's there to show support for Taiwan to be in the organizations where it it deals with health and safety and public safety and uh, anything that's uh, that causes you know um, a a well, let's go back to safety or, or a medical issue worldwide. So I think I think in the next month or two, I think we might see some dynamic changes for Taiwan. That's just my two cents. That would be a very interesting to see. And if, 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 and the Trump administration doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of this, but if they can work in conjunction with allies, like-minded allies, Japan, the UK, Canada, possibly some other EU countries, if they can all come together, possibly Vietnam, they can all come together and push simultaneously for major improvements with, with the relationship with Taiwan. It'd be very, very hard for the PRC to, to they, they'd scream bloody murder, but what could they do about it? Well, I, I saw in the news report on, you know, who actually, uh, the uh, the funding that's given to the WHO, um, the United States is number one. I th can't remember who's number two, but then you look at China; it's only seven percent. The United States, I think, is around twelve or thirteen or sixteen percent. I saw the numbers; I can't remember it. But China's not the the number one uh, funder, mm -hmm. and but for some reason they have the biggest voice because when you look at the WHO and you look on the backsplash. Where you have the uh, I don't know what you call him the the director or who's the the head of the WHO I'm not sure what his title is mm -hmm. secretary of it, but behind him right behind his left ear you can see it's Mandar it's it's Chinese and it's simplified characters so you can see it so it, it's been placed just right so whoever's handling public affairs there they put it so you can see it just like like the, where my left ear is you can see it just parallel and or it's either the right ear or the left ear you can see it'll say uh, World Health uh, World Health Organization in Mandarin, but it's simplified. It's right there. It's very, very obvious that somebody put it there for a specific reason. Well, what I was actually referring to is just more in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, with organizations like that, you often need unanimous or sort of, there's certain qualifications, so it would be tough to do that. But I saw a very interesting suggestion in an article a few weeks ago 
uh, about the United States. I'm trying to remember where I saw it, but the suggestion was um, that the the United States could actually choose an ambassador at large for Taiwan. You could probably do that. They I, I, could do that because yeah. they have these ambassador at large. It's a, it's a title. It's a thing. Usually they have it addressed to a specific topic, but they could actually do that it, because it would not be an ambassador to a country. It would be an ambassador, but it would be legally an ambassador. Hmm, interesting, because right now you have the chairman of AIT, which right. is the which figure. Is, it's the it's the I don't know if you call it appointed a position, but it's a position that's held on top of uh AIT Taipei and I, AIT Washington and so it's kind of a figurehead position the person yeah. doesn't control anything or doesn't represent anything except for representing the the voice of uh the executive branch with uh Taiwan and i mean that, that's kind of the who the ambassador in large equivalent may be but you don't see that it's the title yeah. the ambassador at large and I think uh, that might be something Mike Pompeo could probably finish. Well, see and, the difference put together. Yeah, the difference is AIT is a commercial entity. It's not technically part of the State Department, although people can keep their state email addresses and there's all it's that. A non, it's a nonprofit organization, right. um, and so you know, if, if the appointed an ambassador at large, this would be a legal position. Yeah, and, and there it, are, it would be a State yeah. Department ambassador level figure. And then in D.C. they have the discussions that they, they want to have confirmation of who the director will be because mm -hmm. currently, the uh, from what I recall, is the director of AIT, Taipei, is uh, selected within State Department. So it's an internal decision. There's no oversight from Congress, no oversight from uh, the, the normal ambassador assignments and the nominations. You have to go get cleared through uh, Congress and the senators, I think, and, 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 and have that confirmed. So this one, you're appointed and you go. So, and it's always been a State Department person. So it's never been like a, a person outside brought in. So it's always been a State Department internal person. All right, switching gears uh, before, because I want to get to this before we run out of time. Um, now, this is very interesting. How long been the former, uh, the former Taipei mayor? He is running for the chair position of the KMT chair. And he came out and said some interesting things here. So I'm going to can read you, this. Can you let, let me know what's interesting? <laughs> Certainly. All right. So, quote from How Long Bin. Should Beijing refuse to acknowledge the ROC, then we no longer need to interact with them. That's interesting. Okay, hold on. I roll. <laughs> okay, continue. Quote, if our goodwill is not reciprocated in kind and we do not receive dignified treatment as an equal partner, why should we continue? If that happens, then there is no need to maintain postal services, commercial services, or transportation services with China. We can consider other alternatives. What are those other alternatives? I guess go, going back to the way it used to be, removing the three links, everything goes via well, Hong Kong. Continue, continue with your story. So I think that... Okay, continue with the yeah. quotes. However, Han said that the KMT does not want that situation to occur. Quote, we should not have to force each other to back down, Howe said, adding that he hoped Beijing would offer Taiwan some respect and goodwill. Quote, some party members have indeed backed down too much, he said. 
referencing the perception that the KMT was often weak when facing the Chinese Communist Party. Howe said that some pan-blue supporters, not necessarily politicians, might have acted in a less-than-dignified manner while in pursuit of economic benefits from China. We, c- we cannot continue to do so. Now, he also went on to say the basic consensus on both sides of the Taiwan Strait is the 1992 consensus. However, the basis of that agreement has been undermined by the DPP's denial of the consensus's validity, calling it the, quote, one country, two systems content concept, while Beijing flatly refuses to acknowledge the ROC. Hold on, I have to do an eye roll. <laughs> the okay. KMT should debate whether its cross-strait policies require revision as consensus between the two sides of the sta- strait, as well as between the KMT and CCP, appears to be over, he said. Wow. Right. This is big. Now, here's the interesting thing, is he's sounding like moving much much closer to a position if China will not acknowledge the Republic of China we're moving back to Cheng Jingguo era here, Lee, well, this, early Li Donghui era. This goes back to, like I talked about, you have the, the first generation, the second generation cameteers. Now, he's second generation. He's second generation. He's talking, I think he might have listened to our, our uh, conversation last week that his parents would be rolling in the grave of the behavior of these second generation children. Well, his, his actually, I, I have the opposite take. His father's uh, Hao Pozun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the the head of the military. He was a premier for a while. I think he was the vice presidential candidate for the new party back in the day. He He's much more old school. I think this is deep, deep blue, which well, is what Howe was talking well, about. Well, I think what, what I mean by first generation is you know being anti-communist and right. being nationalist and pro-ROC, mm-hmm. and we're going to retake the mainland. And, and, and so that's what I mean, because oh, right. that's the anti-communist part of mm-hmm. what the KMT is all about. Where the second generation, they forgot anti-communist. Mm-hmm. Now they're just pro-communist because of all the business and economic things that got them so intertwined and and uh, being almost turncoats to the, their parents mm-hmm. of being anti-communist. And so this this is a, a very typical response that you would see in the first generation. Yeah. Uh, the initial 1949-1950 uh, generation that came over here. So I'm just, I was kind of shocked when you're reading reading this to me prior to the the show today yeah i i mean it, it's 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 stunning to see because this is a, a strong a much stronger anti-communist stance than you've seen out of the kmt in a long time it's it, it's keep in keeping with the roc nationalism but cutting postal links cutting the three links that ma built that was Ma's big. Now it, they started the mini link started under Chen Swabia, and he laid the groundwork. But it was really Ma Ingzhou using the 1992 consensus that really pushed this thing through. So this is really quite an interesting. It, it, interesting it, it, it's it's a strong change. Yeah. Uh, so you said stronger. I, I'm going to go. It's very strong change mm-hmm. in the narrative that you've heard from the blue camp for the last. Uh, let's see for so for the last. 12 years, this is a, a very big change than what you've seen under Ma and you know, the four years that they've been out of power. I'm just, I don't know what to say. I'm lost. 
All right. Conti- can you continue speaking for me? <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we end on that? And I want to encourage everybody to turn in, uh, tune in next week. We're going to be following develop- the latest developments, what's going on in the KMT chair race, which is going to be very interesting. The candidates should be finalized by then, so we'll know what to we'll know what to expect. Uh, I have a three part series. Part one is already out. Come out on the KMT chair race in Ketagalam Media. Be sure to check that out. Uh, parts two and parts three are coming out soon. They're already written, already submitted. So look forward to those and tune in next week. And you'll find everything on thatsreport.tw. And Michael will be back next week and he'll probably have a lot of suntan. And so he'll, he'll be looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at Report. Current Affairs Taiwan in Taichung. Donovan, start the show, please. <laughs> yes, my lord. Yes, my lord. Sure. Do I need the button or not? If I can button up more? Yeah, I don't know. So, I guess. Oh, right. Much better. <laughs>